Hey everybody, this is Brett with the Indie Comics Dispatch. On this week's episode, we have Megascope Night, authors and artists from the new Megascope line of graphic novels curated by John Jennings. If you didn't know, I'm like a John Jennings fanboy, okay? Anyway, sorry for the delay of posting this week's episode. I was on vacation, and so I held it for a week till I got back since we skipped a week of uh, broadcast last week and so you're getting it this week i really hope you enjoy this week's episode i had such a fun time having these conversations and hanging out with the guys from megascope and i'm hoping this is really just a part one of megascope night i'm hoping that in season two we can do a part two and maybe even a part three of um, interviewing megascope creators and curators also as always broadcast from the dispatch is first a live stream you can catch us most wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on the Indie Comics Dispatch social media channels. It's really fun. Uh, we, we take questions from our live streaming audience, and you could be part of that audience, too, if you tuned in. Now, just as soon as I say that, I gotta say we're taking a break in July. We're gonna take all of July off uh, to, to start planning Season 2 of Broadcast from the Dispatch. So I'll be busy fulfilling Kickstarter rewards in July and lining up guests for the first half of Season 2. So, with that out of the way, I just want to say one more time thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers. Uh, we are well on the way of becoming a 501c3. We've already taken the first steps uh, with filing important paperwork with the state of Georgia, which is where we reside, which is the first step before you go federal. So, again, thank you to everybody that supported. Your support really, really, really means the world to us. And without any further ado, here's this week's episode of Broadcast from the Dispatch. Hey everybody, this is Brett with Indie Comics Dispatch and broadcasting from an undisclosed location deep within the Milky Way galaxy. This is a broadcast from the Dispatch. Good evening, everyone. If you'll notice, my trusty sidekick, Tyr, is not here this evening. Um, Tyr's taking a break to step away from the dispatch right now to work on um, sober stuff. And so um, more on all that to come later. Um, but we we love Tyr um, and, and miss him tonight. I'm flying solo. Um, also, the Kickstarter campaign wrapped up this week. We did amazing. Um, and really, I mean, it's all you guys, right? It's all you guys. Um, we we didn't know how it would go. Um, and you guys just made it go amazingly. We had a very modest goal and you guys blew it out of the water. We meet, met every single stretch goal. Um, and it was just absolutely killer to see all that happen and all, all the support for Indie Comics Dispatch. But not only that, the Indie Comics community, because we're taking all that and just pouring it right back into the community um, to elevate um, voices that maybe don't normally get elevated within other circles. So thank you to that um we're working on on getting all that going um speaking of that we're going to take july off from um broadcast from the dispatch where we're taking hiatus for the month of july um during that time we're going to be working on kickstarter fulfillment so we're not really taking it off um and planning our season two of broadcast from the dispatch which will hit starting in august so july 
will be no new shows. Um, we'll probably rebroadcast some old shows and um, get you, hit you guys in August with a brand new season of broadcast from the dispatch, along with fulfilling all those Kickstarter rewards. So um, thank you everybody who out there who supported. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, speaking of, of tonight, um, uh, I am super excited. Tonight is Megascope night. I hope it's Megascope part one night um, because we have um, creators representing two of the four new um, Megascope graphic novels. If you're not familiar with Megascope, let me read it so I don't get it wrong. Uh, Megascope is a line of graphic novels dedicated to showcasing speculative and nonfiction works by and about people of color with a focus on science fiction, fantasy, horror, history, and stories of magical realism. If you haven't checked out those books, you definitely should. Um, and that's our guest tonight. First up on my list of bios is Stacy Robinson. Stacy is an assistant professor of graphic design at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign as part of the collaborative team Black Kirby with artist John Jennings. Robinson creates graphic novels, gallery exhibitions, lectures, and workshops that use strategies to imagine new worlds inspired by design, hip-hop, the arts, and sciences, and diasporic African belief systems. Stacy, welcome. What's going on? <laughs> it's good to be back. Good to be back. And speaking yeah. of, you supported the Kickstarter. and yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely. I'm waiting on my shirt. Yeah. Yep, I'm excited. I think I ordered that in the slim size because I'm working on some things. I know. You haven't scared <laughs> me. I'm like, damn, I got I to gotta get on Stacy's plan. This oh quarantine God. way has been something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be here. Good. It's great to have you back, man. Next up. And really... um. He popped in on the on the creator pop in, and I was like, "Hell yeah, man!" Um, Nigel, Nigel is an avid storyteller with a stor strong interest in comics. Nigel always dreamt of uh, creating his own comic series, a goal he has happily completed. Nigel is open to working in all genres, but has a penchant for science fiction. Me too, Nigel. Um, in spite of his day job, his duties as a father and husband, Nigel always finds time to dedicate. To writing comics, Nigel. Welcome again. Another uh, welcome back because you were here Thank a couple you. weeks ago. Thank you. Thank you very much. No problem, man. Um, next up, Alvern. I, I should have clarified this. I'm saying that right, right? Oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, oh, let me. Oh, there you go. Alvern. Okay. Good, 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 good. Alvern Ball has a Master's of Fine Arts in Fiction Writing from Columbia College, Chicago. Mr. Ball is a recipient of the inaugural 2019 Tin House Graphic Narrative Fellowship. He was the 2018 um, Chai Teen Lit um, Festival Graphic Novel Speaker. He is also the recipient of the 2014 and 2015 Glyph Rising Star Awards for his writings on 133 Arts, One Nation, and One Nation Old Druids comics. In 2009, Mr. Ball became the recipient of the first ever Luminarts Graphic Novel Writing Award. Alvern, welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, last but certainly not least, Matthew Clark. Matthew is a creative director, illustrator, graphic designer, comics writer, and sequential artist based in Barbados. He has worked in the advertising industry in Barbados for a decade and freelance for various agencies. Clark has extensive experience in public in publication, design, art, direction, and brand identity. He is a primary creator and principal in with the independent comics collective Beyond Publishing. His latest work is a Caribbean fantasy called Hardy Hardiers under Abrams Comics Art, the new imprint of Megascope Books. Matthew, man, welcome. 
Hi, good night, everybody. And hello from Barbados. Right. Which is uh, surprisingly on the same time zone as Atlanta. So I was yeah. I was pleasantly surprised at that. Um, mm -hmm. Guys, welcome. So, yo, can, is there time for me to fanboy right quick? Totally. Yes, please yo, do. Matthew is one of the illest artists I've ever seen in my life. Yo, Hard Ears <laughs> is literally one of my Thank favorite you. graphic novels ever. Yo, Thank that you. book. Yo, the bar has been raised. I'm gonna say it like that. That is Shouts amazing. out to you too, Nigel. Shouts out Thank to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That is awesome. And, and I was telling you before the show that I, I have I have um, Across the Tracks and I have After the Rain from the series. And technically I have the other two also, but they're being given to me for Father's Day. So I haven't I haven't experienced Matthew yet, your your artwork in that book. Um so um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about you, the books and about the Megascope series, but first, tell us a little bit more. Let's just go around the circle. Tell us more about your background, your origin stories. What uh, what inspired you to become a creator in the first place, Stacy? Let's start with you. Sure, I'll keep it really concise. Um, I fell in love with animation first. So, um, and, and this was I was born in '72, so I came up on old filmation comics. I mean, com I mean, cartoons and, and Battle of the Planets, you know, um, and I studied animation frame by frame. I used to make flip books back in the day. Oh, and wow. uh, my uncle gave me my first comics. And I want to say I want to say I really started paying attention to comics probably around the age of, let's say, maybe 10 or so. And um, that is what changed. You know, I don't I don't know where that shift happened, but um then I fell in love with comics, and and um, it's been that way ever since. I'm originally from Albany, New York. I uh, moved to New York City the day that Tupac died, oh, wow. and the next day was my first day on my internship at Milestone Comics. So um, yeah, it's been and it's been that was I want to say that was my pre-college education because I was accepted to the Joe Coover School and I could not afford to go. And I went home to my bank and I was like, hey, I got accepted to art school. I need money. And they said, no, I had no idea how financial aid worked, but it, I got pissed and I moved to New York. And, and then it totally changed my um, totally changed my life. And then I got engaged, had started a family, got married, went to college, all of that in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And mm. now I um, Shouts out to John Jennings, whose name will come up many times tonight because he invited me to study with him at grad, in grad school. That's how I ended up in Buffalo, New York wow. for a few years. And then I moved out here um, to Champaign, Illinois, about two hours south of Chicago, two hours south of Alvern. And um, I teach graphic design and illustration at the University of Illinois here. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, uh, let's go over to Nigel. Nigel, what's your origin story, man? Hi. Um... Well, I, I'm also a child of the 70s, so I kind of grew up in that time when comic books still had an impact on, like, that's something that we all read and that kind of thing. So the first comic book I can remember having was a Spider-Man comic book. I was about four years old, and I can remember reading that stuff from, like, front to back, front to back, sometimes in, in any order. And I was always fascinated by the pictures, and the, so I was, I was always interested in art. And I wanted a career that dealt with art, but um, it wasn't something that my parents was really too fond of. So I kind of, kind of put that on the back burner. And 
But I always studied art in school. I actually came out of secondary school with basically art qualifications and stuff. But I kind of pushed on and went into architecture. So that's my day job where I work in the architectural field. But I always wanted to get back to doing comic books. So I actually said, well, my art was a bit rusty, so I'll get into writing. But I wasn't really good at writing. But I just kind of just really sat down and pushed myself. And I met up with Matthew. Just other chats, and we just kind of hit it off and formed a friendship and just started to talk about books and that kind of stuff. And I've been creating comic books ever since. That's really cool. That's really cool. Matthew, how about you, man? Hi, yeah, I'm a child of the, the 90s, well, born in the 80s, but grew up in the 90s. And I grew up reading um, comic books. It was actually the first material that I kind of learned to read on. Um, my mother is also an artist, um, a visual artist, so I grew up around art. And I always had a passion for drawing comics in school. I used to do it in all my notebooks. And then fast forward to my college years, I decided to do it as my um, major for my uh, degrees. And that's actually how we met Nigel, because we had a little exhibit. I took all my savings, I printed this comic called Mass Anthology, and I bumped into Nigel um, in the supermarket, because we had a little display in the mall. And he left his number with me, and we exchanged numbers, and here we are today. And uh, we farmed beyond publishing, and I then I moved on to work in graphic design. So I'm currently a creative director at an um, agency in Barbados called Red Advertising. And um, throughout the years, I always made time to do comics. So I'd leave work, come home, work on the books. And I guess that's how we got to this point. And I always say we, because as a whole team, we always work as a team. Mm -hmm. You guys are beyond. We do our own little projects, but it'd be kind of like a Wu-Tang Clan, you know, kind of vibe. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Alvern. Um, I got into comics, I guess, around 16 or 17. I think it was 16. Um, so I, I guess I'm a late bloomer and the idea that um, most people have been reading comics since they were kids. I got into it as teens um, and possibly because I've always loved, you know, um, cartoons and stuff of that nature but i remember walking into a toys r us and um picking up a spawn figure you know todd mcfarland spawn and it flipped over and it said um based on characters from this comic book and when i saw that i thought wait there's a comic book that that's based off these toys that in my in my head as a teen i was like this is stuff i always wanted to make you know um, so there were two comic book stores by my high school so one day i decided to not get on the bus and and go the opposite direction and walk into this comic book shop. And the guy introduced me to Spawn. And I, and I literally went through and bought, like, I think at the time, it was like the thing had been, Spawn had been going on for a few years. So I went back and found every issue and just, like, devoured it. And then the guy was like, well, if you like this, you might like this. And he introduced me to Batman. And then this was, and then this was right around the time, like, I think Cliffhanger started coming out. So I started, like, getting into all that you know, um, Joe Mad stuff. So I was just, I was like all over the board, but I was one of those kids. Um, I had to hide, um, the fact that I read comics, um, for a while from my friends. And then, um, 
one day I decided I wanted to write comics. Um, but at, at the time, there was, you know, there was no resource for how to write comics. So what I started doing was literally going through panel by panel and, and kind of breaking it down, almost like you, you, if you were doing like a film script. I started looking at um, pacing and stories. And then one day, um, how I just decided, okay, I'm going to write, uh, I'm going to write a comic. And um, I just started doing it. And then um, before I knew it, there were resources that started to come out. People started posting some of their scripts online. And so I just started like kind of devouring anything I could find. And then I remember one day, um, there used to be these art classes. Now take it, I cannot draw whatsoever. I mean, I can't even draw a stick figure. So, but I wanted to understand what an artist saw when they looked at the page. So I took this art class that, that had all these comic book artists in it. And it was called the, um, it was like art for comics or something like that. And so um, I took this class. I was in this room full of amazing artists who were doing like manga and all this other stuff. And all I wanted to do was just kind of understand how they saw the page because I wanted to write for them. Um, mm -hmm. But it helped me tremendously working with these young artists um, at the time. You know, I think I did it for like three months. And after three months, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to write my first script. And um, I wrote a comic. And, and then before I knew it, I had friends that were like, oh, we draw. And I was like, okay, we should, we should do some comics. And so I ended up publishing a lot of mini comics. And from mm -hmm. there, um, started to kind of get um, – I guess a little prestige. One, I remember one kind like um, that we had like lying around the corner. People were buying my mini comics, and I was like, "Okay, I really want to write comics." So that's kind of how it started for me. That's really cool. I love that you took an art class to see how an artist would see the page because you never hear that. <laughs> if anything, you hear writers dogging on artists. Um, that's that's really cool, man. I love that. I love Thanks. that. So let's let's talk about Megascope for a minute. John Jennings is not here, um, but you guys can be his voice tonight. Um, so John Jennings is the curator of the Megascope line of graphic novels. Um, tell tell us more about the the line itself. Any anybody who wants to chime in? The floor is open. Um, yeah, I, I'll jump in really. Yeah, really, really quickly. I, um, if my origin, if the origin story is correctly. Um, you know, and I like to take pride in, in knowing that the imprint was coming, right? Or the line of books was coming. I told John after the success of Kindred that they were going to offer him an imprint because nobody, there was nothing that existed um, like that. And and I think John knew it too, but he played it really humble because he he will do that. Um, and you know, and and you know, with uh, through a conversation with with Aunt, you know Andrew Smith and and uh, Charles Cochran, Cochman, uh, Cochman, Megascope. Um, I, I don't have no idea how you know how that conversation went. That would be a great. I would love to be in that conversation just listening to that. Uh, that that's a podcast idea. How would the origin of Megascope? <laughs> um, but I do know that the name of Megascope is based on. A, a W.E.B. Du Bois story that was found called the Princess Steel, and in that in that is a device um, called the 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 uh, megascope, which, if I remember correctly, sees through dimensions, right? Um, and it was pretty um, pretty kind of telling, you know. As a shout out to Du Bois, who was a, a speculative fiction writer, early science fiction writer, right? Black science fiction writer and sociologist. And, um, you know, but the success of, of, I mean, this first line of books, these first four books, 
Now dropping came because of, and I always have to shout this out, um, allyship looks like a particular thing. And I love to say this about Megascope because you know Abrams gave space for Megascope, right? Yeah. And allyship looks like a particular thing. It looks like giving space, it looks like sharing resources, it looks like putting money behind the, your politics, right? And it doesn't look like just, you know, I'm gonna retweet that, you know, or I'm gonna throw up a, I'm gonna make an angry face emoticon right now. It, it looks like like actually building out um, a particular space to, you know, for the, in this particular uh, case, for these stories, right? And um, there are so many more books lined up. Fortunately, John is my best friend, so I get a lot of inside scoop, you know, and we talk through a lot of things, but, um, you know, these first four books that are that have dropped um, are literally changing the game, right? There was not that from what I know of, there was not an imprint or I like to call an imprint as a line of books yeah. um, that has been like this before. And, and I think, you know, we're in a time in history, right, where Afrofuturism, black speculative culture is popular culture, mm -hmm. right? Like, Watchmen, I love to talk about this. Black Panther, Watchmen, um, Lovecraft Country are popular culture, right? And our belief systems are now becoming mainstream, right? Um, shouts out to them too, which gets a lot of pushback, but I love them. Shouts out to us, right? Like our commentaries, the things that we talk about are private are now public conversations. And there's space you know, for these through uh, this new line of books called Megascope, which is once again, a shout out to W.E.B. Du Bois. And uh, many of us shouts out to Cherie Renee Thomas and her her uh, first volume of, of, of Dark Matter because that was my first introduction to Du Bois, mm -hmm. right? And for many of us, our first introductions to Afrofuturism was through that book. So a lot of that has, has come in the wave of, uh, we're standing on the shoulders of, of, all of us in this room today are standing on the shoulders of giants, right? For those who came before us. So, so shouts out to all of them. That's really cool. That's really cool. So, so knowing all that, uh, was it daunting to know that you as a, as a writing pair, writing an art pair were selected to create a book for this series? As anybody who wants to go. Nigel, you're up. <laughs> um so I would have said it. Um I think it's I find it to be an honor to actually be a part of this. Um especially where we are from the Caribbean and our we wouldn't think that our book would be something that would have kind of been something that the US audience or would have gotten a chance to be out in the US audience, mm -hmm. you know? Um mm -hmm. John kind of took a chance on us to and actually believed in us because he's the person who kind of really came towards us and said, well, hey, we'd like to put you on the imprint and stuff. So we we really appreciate the fact that we are there. Um, I can't really speak to, to be honest, I don't know much about the other side of stuff, as I said, because I am from Barbados and we kind of watch a lot of the uh, things from afar. Mm -hmm. So I can't really get into the things to do with history and the different right. things like that. Right. But 
we have a, we come from a different culture and our culture we still are a part of the black culture but um it's just a little different i would just say mm-hmm. okay. matthew what about you man yeah um i i first met john at a local um comic con called the anime con but not in person i met his work mm. so it was the um, black kirby exhibit and I fell in love with the work and I reached out to the gentleman who was curating the exhibit. And then we met online and we kind of um, hit it off. And I'm a big history enthusiast. John is a, a, a teacher, professor, and he's very much into history. And I, I love the way his art look. It was, you know, it's very, expressive is very colorful and i have a kind of expressive style as well and i use i like to use a lot of color so we kind of hit it off and um when he told me about megascope and what what i highly respect about john is that he's always a man of his words so like he told me about this thing and then you know you get busy with life and then the next minute John messaging me and say, well, boom, boom, boom. And then the ball was rolling. So I, I he's definitely a real cool person. I, I feel like I knew him for years, you know, one of those kind of people. But I've, we've never met in person. It's like the power of the internet. But we talk regularly. And through him, and I, I was introduced to a lot of the, um, the, the Af- African-American um, comic world you know through the different facebook groups and thing and it's been a very exciting journey we meet a lot of new people and and you see a lot of cool art so that, that's been really exciting that's really cool now alvern i want to go to you next because i think i think it was in your forward or maybe afterwards or something to, to across the tracks you said you had this idea and you emailed john about it and it turns out Shortly before that, Stacy had also emailed or called John about producing a book. Yeah, so um, it was very. It's, I guess it's Kesmit in some ways. Yeah, because yeah. I had sent him. Um, Many had been talking previously about another book that I was working on, and he was, he was really jazzed about it. And then one day, um, I had wrote a scriptment um, for um, for Black Wall Street because I, I was I wanted to do something in TV, and I was like, you know what, this would be cool graphic novel idea so I, I just sent it to him i was like hey i got this idea and i think it'd be really cool as a graphic novel um and so i sent it to him and he read and he goes i, I was like this is amazing I, I, we should do something and then it, and then in the same breath he goes what's funny is stacy just called me and was like hey we should do something on black wall street and the centennial that's coming up and he goes, what are the odds? And then, um, I think it was like 24 hours later, um, he goes, you've done research on this thing, right? You know all about this, right? I was like, yeah, I, I, you read the thing. And he goes, would you like to work on this book? And I'm like, but the book I'm pitching? He goes, yeah, but, you know, we might have to tone it down. And we might have to do this because what you're doing, it seems like it would be long. And he goes, but the first thing all I heard was, do you want to work on this book? And I was like, and, you know, my mind just kind of blew. And I was just like, <laughs> Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. 
you want me to work on a book. You know, it's like you go into that, like that little girl, like you know, like you want to scream a little. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, and then uh, so I was like, and then I, he calls me up like five minutes after he sends this to me, and I'm like, grilling out, and I get it after get on the phone, I'm like, yes, hello, how are you? Then I act all calm. He goes, yeah. Um, so would you be interested in doing this thing? And I'm like, man, yeah, whatever you need, let me go. He goes, all right, write up a pitch for, you know, what you want to do. And Stacy likes to call it the, 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 uh, the, the run ball cut or something like that. Um, but that's how it happened. Yeah. It was just kismet that I guess me and Stacy kind of emailed him as like two passing ships in the night within seconds of each other or minutes of each other. That's awesome. That's amazing. We'll get to we'll get to the books in just a minute here. Um, but let's talk just a minute about representation in comics and graphic novels, right? Um, when was the first time you guys saw a character in comics and thought, "Aha, that's me. They got it right." Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I could I could say something about that. Um. From when I was growing up, watching television, watching movies, everything, you would tend to try to gravitate towards a character that you could um, associate yourself with. Have it be a black character, a character from Caribbean or whatever. And when it came to comic books, you did the same thing. So when I was young, there, there wasn't the wide scope of comic books you could get, but I can remember when I read an Iron Man comic book and when he took off the helmet, it was actually Rhodey underneath the helmet. And I was, re I was really stoked and I went to school and told everybody, Iron Man is black and there's a black Iron Man and everybody tell me no, there's not a black Iron Man because where we come from, we kind of got comic books out of sequence, maybe a year old sometimes, sometimes. So like you kind of just kind of caught up with stories whenever you could. And it was something that we kind of passed around to friends. So somebody was like, I borrow somebody. So books kind of got passed around. They were read till they were destroyed. But I can remember the first Marvel character that I kind of felt like this, this is like, I like this character. This is me. It was um, a Rhodes in Iron Man. And I can remember reading the issue where they thought he had been killed, where somebody gave him a package. And he carried it into it when Arnold's base was just like a dome and it blew up and I was kind of devastated. And I could just, I can remember that. That was the first kind of black character that I kind of latched onto. Who else? So does it have to be comics or is it? <laughs> nah, whatever you okay. want. Um, I, this is going to sound weird. I had to think about this and I was thinking think about influence. Um, but in, in relation to comics, I guess, because Stacy mentioned animation. And I think it had to be Greg Wiseman's Gargoyles, Goliath and Gargoyles. Mm. Um, was that character I knew was black, like Panthro. You just knew he was black. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, and you find out it is David that voices it. Um, and you're like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, that had to be. But it was that character, I think, and that storyline for me that, that grabbed me in a way, that grabbed my imagination in a way that, um, or like Robert Townsend's Meteor Man. Um, when I think of like superheroes, I think of that and um, this TV show called Mantis. Um, mm, I loved like Mantis. The first, yeah, yeah. That I think when I think about superheroes, those probably were the 
first do they like grab my imagination to go wait like superheroes like oh okay you know um but i think it had to be greg wiseman's gargoyles and just because i was always into like medieval stuff in in history so for me that just grabbed my imagination and and blew me just blew my mind to the possibilities of like the stories you could tell you know by combining history and magic and all this stuff that i never thought you could do in a story you know Mm -hmm. Stacey, I think I started to see you say something a moment ago. Um, I think the first time I'm, I'm trying to think about when the first time like black characters really moved me. And it was um, I, I worked for um, an independent newspaper called the What's Up newspaper in Albany, New York. Shouts out to the editor, Kenny Braswell. He went to the Million Man March and he brought me back a handful of comics. Uh, one of them uh, was called Lion Man. I want to think it was called uh, or Lionheart. It was called Lionheart. One of um, some of them were for um, Ania comics, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, I actually went back and brought a lot of those books. I actually, I had to pay a grip for them too, uh, like just to replace them. Mm-hmm. And then um, I fell in love with Milestone because uh, Milestone came out, um, you know, a few years before that as well. And I was picking up some of those, not really um, all of them. I followed Mark Bright from Iron Man. Nigel talked about Iron Man. So I followed Mark Bright from Iron Man to uh, Milestone where he was drawing Icon and and, um, fell in love with those books. And those were like that time, that mid nineties time where there was so many, um, you know, black creators making books um, I, I felt like I was represented very well because there were black creators creating work. Um, and, and, you know, for most of it, I liked most of the artwork. And shouts out to Dawood Anyabwile, who has drawn Brother Man, who has bro- created Brother Man. John and, Jennings is in the chat on Instagram, and he just said Brother Man. <laughs> yeah, Brother Man was one of the, I remember picking up the very first issue of Brother Man, too. Um, and... You know, it was it, it was there was this time where like the representation, even if I didn't agree with their politics, right, of all of the characters or all the writers and creators, because um, there was a lot of foolish beef going on at that time between a lot mm-hmm. of black independent um, publishers as well. And I didn't necessarily agree with all of the politics of that or even the politics of the characters. But what I appreciated was the diversity of thought of the, the and the designs of the characters, right? Uh, because black people are, we, we have multiple commentaries and, and you, I really got to see that. Like I got to really understand Augustus, Augustus Freeman, right, right, right? As Icon, I wasn't a black Republican, you know, <laughs> but Icon was, but I loved Icon. He was one of my favorite superheroes, right? Um, and I could understand and agree with some things and some other things not, right? Mm-hmm. But it was the writing was so good um, on on Icon. Shouts out to Dwayne McDuffie, and that that was it was so. I understood Rocket, loved Rocket, and I understood Icon, and they were clashing for me because I was a, I was a it was in my super early twenties, <laughs> right? So. I was understanding in this social responsibility I has a, had as a black man, but also understood this this very political 
kind of anarchist side uh, as well that I was also entertaining, right? So I felt like that time I was really drawn into a multiplicity of, of black commentary, black creators, black, um, um, black publishers, and all of it um, in a particular way influenced me. Matthew? Yeah, the, the first uh, black character that I fell in love with actually was Star. I had a um, crush on Star. When the X-Men series came out, uh, funny enough, a Barbadian female voice actress, um, Angela Celie Smith, she voiced Star. So I, that was like, that blew my mind when I found out as a kid. And then I will say later on, uh, Wesley Snipes as Blade. Like I was a kid when that came out and I was like, what is this? I did not even know there was a Blade comment. I'm like, what is this? Like the brother's haircut was smooth. Like the, the, he was playing a leading role. Like, and it wasn't like a corny thing. It was like real mainstream. I wasn't even allowed to watch it. I, I went by a friend and we watched it. I was like R-rated. And it was like, up to this day, that movie, the first and the second one still, you know, holds, you know, it aged well. Yeah, yeah. I love I loved the Blade movies growing up, too. Um, well, I was probably a little older than you, but I loved them. <laughs> um, I was going to say, even the, the, the third one? Even not, the third, or maybe not the third well, one, but... Yeah. <laughs> Not Matthew <laughs> only Blade one and two, so I agree with him on that comment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, a question: one more question, then we're going to move to talking about your books. Um, I, I, I have gotten this question recently, as a matter of fact. Um, so there are people out there wondering why there needs to be a space for Black voices and people of color voices within the comics industry. Why? Why black comics um, was the question posed to to a group that I'm a part of. So you tell me, why are these stories important? Why why do these stories need to have their own space to be told for people out there that are wondering? Um, Feel free uh, to be uh, as harsh uh, as you like. Oh, okay. I was like, let me let me let me find a politically correct answer to that. Go ahead, Albert. <laughs> um, I guess you. To reverse it, and, and, and I used to wonder that you know, people ask that, and you used to wonder. I used to be saying, you know, I just want to be a writer, you know. And then I, at one time, I remember, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm a black writer, but why can't I write this? But then I guess the question you have to ask: Then why, why write comics? Why, why manga? You know? And the idea is that everybody has a voice, everybody has an experience, everybody has a story to tell. I think, and when you talk about black comics, it's like you're saying black movies. Oh, you know, but every, we just want to be writers. We want to be artists. But with that comes our ethnicity, comes this heritage, comes our race, you know, comes this, this lineage of, of atrocities, hypocrisy that we as, as, as creators, as artists, we have to tell, you know, whether that be, we're talking about you know the devastation of greenwood you know um it's it's uh it's set upon us as artists to tell these tales but also to to tell the experience the black experience because it's an experience that only we get to experience as artists and as creators 
you know, or as a people, you know, when you compare it to whatever ethnicity, every ethnicity has something that they go through. But when you look at it in the scope of the diaspora, um, not only in this country, but across the world, black creators and black people have a different tale. It's, you know, it's like the tale of two cities, you know, and that idea that the story that we're telling is going to be totally different, you know, than the story that a a white creator may tell. Um, when you think of like Jim Crow or you think of um, what's the one that Mark Wade gave the low hanging fruit? Um, uh, strange the, fruit. Yeah, thank mm. you. A black creator would have told that story in a totally different fashion. And, and we'd have reimagined that super that Superman story in a total different way. Why? Because we have an experience that um, I would say a Caucasian or, or even an Asian or even a, a uh, Latino creator wouldn't have experienced it. They would have told it in a different way, you know. Mm -hmm. So when you say why black comics, it's almost like what, then why white comics, you know, because everybody has a story to tell, I think, you know. Yeah. Stacey, you want to jump in on that? You know, I, I, I had a whole bunch of things to say. And I'm gonna like, I would keep it really, you know, here's the thing, right? The only time we ever ask that question is when black people start doing something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. right? We, when you ask that question, the people who ask that question already know the answer. Right? They're, they're avoiding the conflicts that they have within themselves. To think about real, you know, and acknowledging why this, these, sto our stories are important. Everyone's stories are important. Let me, you know, I said that, and then now let me say this: everyone's stories are, are important. As an educator, um, most of my students are actually um, Asian women. I think that's what my demographics have typically been. And I tell my my students, I'm like, you know, I will never be a woman. I will never be an Asian woman. You know, um, I will not have your experience, but I can teach you how to tell your story. I can encourage mm -hmm. you to tell, tell your story and show you why it's important, right? And that's what I do. I think allyship looks like a particular thing. I think allyship also looks like, sometimes it's about accepting that we have a culture. We've always had a culture and we don't have to ask permission to be great. We don't have to ask permission to tell our stories. We tell our stories be, just like we created hip hop. just like we've created most world religions, most world religions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we give them to the world. So when people ask this question, it's really odd because you know, depending on who you ask, me, I grew up, like, I, I believe that most of the people I'm reading about in the Bible are black, right? So the Moses story, the Jesus story, you know, all of those stories come from black people, right? I, I believe that. So when you, when we're asking these stories, we wouldn't ask these second generation Jewish immigrants, you know, about, hey, why are you telling these Jewish stories, right? We wouldn't ask that story. Like, white people grasp onto them stories, love them, to the point of when, when now characters... When they recreate a character and change their ethnicity to something other than white, they're feeling odd about it. That's how disconnected they are from black history, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, um, when I look at this and think about this, you know, we created these stories. We've been creating these stories. We gave these stories to the world, right? Um, 
In mainstream culture, though, not enough of our African-based stories are being told and being created. Mm -hmm. And they are older than most other world stories. And there's many times they're the emphasis of, of, of the stories that are more popular. We need to tell those stories. And like I said, we don't have to ask permission to be great. And we need to, but we also are at a time where our stories, our imaginings, our popular culture, and they literally have the potential to save the world. I truly mm -hmm. believe that. Truly believe that. Two um, fantastic would, answers, Nigel. <laughs> I would kind of, I kind of, it, as Stacy said, and as um, Alvaro said, we still love their sentiments. But what I would also add is, for me, it's an opportunity to create characters that I want and black characters and let people see, give give the audience another uh, chance to see other types of characters. As Sting said, everybody should be able to tell their story. And instead of just sitting back and waiting or bitching or just hoping that somebody else will create something that you like, sometimes you can step forward and create. So I try not to limit myself to any particular genre, any particular type of story. I just kind of just write what I wanted to see at growing up, what I like to see. I came up in a time when, as you said, there wasn't a lot of black representation in fiction or the character was a side character or the first character to be killed off. So mm -hmm. now I can create who, male, female, what type of characters I want and tell the type of stories that I want. and. The added bonus is when other people appreciate them and they also like them. So then you realize that it wasn't only you and there is a niche there that has been missing, that no one's been filling that niche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matthew, you got anything to add? Yeah, my take on it is that when you read history, a lot of times you're actually reading uh, black stories and you don't even know there's there's a like a hidden history so if you read about hannibal barker you're reading about a black man but um you you, you automatically assume because you know it's like in the time of rome and and stuff he's a non-black character or a mediterranean character but there's a black man he took elephants over the alps and did his thing so um fast forward now to um our era you know we've and we in the caribbean share a very similar experience if not the same to african americans we we all went through um transatlantic slavery the, the horrors of that holocaust and we also experienced um jim crow right we under a different name um so you know we we have very similar for characters um Louisiana folk characters are very similar to Caribbean folk characters. And I, it's almost like a forest. You know, people ask why we need this space, but a tree needs light to expand and grow. You know, we've already had the Titans out already. In, there's any comic genre of um, Superman, etc. You know, there are the larger canopies because they were out first and they had the chance to grow and become mainstream so now um you, you need to give these voices a, a space to grow in and to allow 
our own style of, of writing as well because we, we may write different you know um i tend to approach a story a little different than the stories that i grew up reading as a as a kid which were the mainstream comics a lot of non-black comics so I, I read but i want to put my own take on it and they're, they're honestly sometimes hard to find like i if there's a space where I could go and find these characters easily, sometimes it's just something as simple as access. You know, where if I have a child and I'm not a father yet, but parents may, you know, want to let the child read a story with somebody they can identify with, where do I go to find this easily, you know? So it's that kind of um, thing for me. Very cool. Very cool. Um, Aaron, uh, the official hero Heru, is the Instagram handle um, on Instagram. Uh, Aaron uh, Beatty, uh, Mike Beatty, um, um, runs that account. It says, uh, claim and control the narrative. If you don't own your story, someone else can own your reality. Woo! Crazy. That's a quotable. <laughs> it is. It is. So let's let's um from there jump into your stories, right? Your your stories, and um let's let um, Matthew and Nigel go go first. Um, let's talk about hard ears. Who? Uh, I'll, I'll kind of go up first, but me, Nigel and I we gonna bounce back and forth. But um, hard ears had an interesting origin, and it was, it was an evening because the Beyond group we would meet on weekends and. We would chill, play video games, you know, talk, sketch, draw, etc. And we'd already had some comics out. And I had an idea because I was actually working on a book with Nigel. It was a crime, a crime series called Life and Death in Paradise. And that's my joint. <laughs> <laughs> respect, respect. Yeah. I, I had this idea. Um, being a working in the creative industry and thing, there were a couple of things that frustrated me, and I just was in a kind of frustrated space at that time. And I had this story, and I'm like, I want to change the characters into four characters, and I want to create this world where all that is around us all that we take for granted is um by that i mean like a lot of caribbean for characters are passed down word of mouth so a lot of them don't really exist in a lot of literature so you guys may hear of like um the popular ones like zombie baku john canoe but then you may not know what a moongeza is you may not have heard of a hag you know the others that are out there that we know about, but people don't know about. And I'm like, but I want to bring these to the fore, you know, and I, I want to create this world where all of these things um, exist, almost like our version of Lord of the Rings. And I was I was heavily and still um, heavily influenced by actually 2000 AD Judge Dredd. Mm. I'm a big Judge Dredd fan. I love how why like Judge Dredd is because it's really about Mega City One and Dredd is just the the gateway through that city, but the city is like alive 
there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff too, and I love that weirdness. So, Nigel, if you could continue or that really, evening. <laughs> so, I can actually remember it. Um, Matthew kind of came to me saying that he had a story, and he first pitched it to me as a story about people killing your creative drive. And he said, well, we can, we can say, well, the drive is called the vibes and the energy around us. So we started to, to go back and forth about it. And as he said, I had just come off of working in Life of Death in Paradise. And that was more of a more gritty kind of crime drama with a lot of like, like guns and stuff. And that's why it was kind of, my mindset was in. And I said, well, I was, I was like, so this is gonna be like a fantasy book. He was like, yeah. And I said, you know, so I said, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna just take a chance and challenge myself to do something different. And when it comes to working with Matthew, when he has a concept, he kind of just runs with it. So he just came back with a lot of ideas and stuff. And the reason why we work so well together is because he has those ideas and I get to help sort them out and rein them in. So there'll be things like he will come and be like, let's do this, this, this. And I would kind of then have to try to figure out, like, how do we put this into story structure? Yes, these are all cool ideas. These are all great characters, but we can't do this or we can't do that. And Harder's was a book that was one of our earlier books that we did, especially the first kind of first chapter. But we kind of learned from the mistakes and we kind of build on it. So that's that's where we kind of started on that project. Um, there was another part about it where I think it was like it was also about exploitation of people. So the, so there was so many different things that was to be told in the book. It was about exploitation. It was about feeling overworked, overused. It had a little bit of an environmental thing, and then. As he said, the part with the folklore was very important. And that was a very interesting part, too. Because even myself, I learned a lot about the different folklore and the different characters and stuff. Because my friend is, as he said, a history buff. And he's amazing with that kind of stuff. Back to you, my friend. Yeah. And, um, the folklore is very important because I was also on a mission to like preserve these things from dying. Because... What happens in the Caribbean, a lot of stuff is not always written down. And as generations go forward, a lot of stuff is lost or you don't understand the full origins. So like, um, there was that was one of the, the key things in this book that I wanted to document these uh, characters and these gods and these supernatural beings. And I also wanted to modernize some of them and make them relevant to the this era, right? In hopes that I would inspire to um, young persons here and, and abroad and show the world something, I guess, that they've never seen before. You know, or they've seen, but they've never seen it this way. So that was, was very important. To me so it was like a lot of research stuff that i knew already going around talking to people going to the museum you know discovering things a lot of taking of pictures and that kind of thing 
that's really cool. That's really awesome. So, um, Stacy and Alverne, uh, we already talked about how you guys um, kind of collided with this idea. But how, how, tell us more about the book. Tell us more about the creative process you guys went through in creating it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Alvern and I, so I'm not putting this business out there, but Alvern got COVID in the beginning stages of, of writing this book. Oh right? no. He, he shared that publicly. So I don't, I'm not putting this business out there. So we got this book done in two months. Like it was a, it was a 48 page story. We got it done in two months from like from story to completion. Um, it was, you know, thank goodness for the, the, the uh, resources that we did have. Um, the one thing I wish I had more of was time to research, to dive deeper into that research. But literally, if we were gonna make the deadline, I was, re I would have had, I was researching as I was drawing, right? Um, and and it was very very difficult it was very difficult because so much of that history is destroyed and we relied on a lot of uh online resources alvern had a lot more books than i had uh, definitely relied on a tulsa historical society website um there was a, a documentary called i wanted to say it was called a lynching in tulsa um, there's another book i can't remember the name of the book that i relied on a lot um and I looked up as, as much as I possibly could. But here's the thing. I also had to, as an illustrator, I wanted to honor Alvern's story. And this was the Alvern cut. I like to call it that because this was the compromised version of, uh, of the story. Um, that is definitely not my favorite version of the story, right? But it is a really dope version of it that it was a compromise. Uh, between the publisher and Al, Al Verne, uh, and the editorial staff and, and Al Verne. <clears throat> um, my, I, I, look, I looked at my job as this. Uh, first of all, I was not John's first pick for this story. He had another artist lined up. And when he told me about this story, I was like, yo, I want that. He was like, you want it? You got time to do it? I was like, yo, I'm going to I want to do that. And the thing was, because it was it's so much it's so connected to my research, right? My research looks at um, black spaces of agency, like where are we free at anywhere on the planet Earth, right? So it was so connected to my research. This story was timely, and it felt like I was like I knew that I needed to be a part of making this history happen, and we I knew I would nail the deadline, right, so that we could drop this book. And time for shout, you know, um, shouts out to Monday Memorial Day was the hundredth anniversary of the incident, right? Uh, which happened on, on May thirty first through June first, nineteen twenty one, and um, we we hit that deadline. And you know, I'm glad John said yes in letting me uh, do the book. But it took a lot of conversing between Alvern and I, um, and honoring his story, interpreting his script. There was a lot that I had to, um, what is the word? Um, there's a lot that I had to improvise, right? Uh, one of my favorite uh, stories, one of my favorite parts of the book is this double page spread. That I always want people to be surprised by that, so I'm not gonna talk about it much. But there are scenes in there, um, every time you see the black people fighting, fighting back, defending themselves, 
um, the reader is on the side of the black people doing that, right? And that was a storytelling device that a lot of people, you might not catch it, but once you read it, once you catch it, you got it. Like, like I put you in the room and I put you on the side of black people, no matter who you are as a reader. And that's not something that Alvern said to do, but that was something that, um, shouts out to Brian Stelfreeze, one of my favorite artists. Mm. I call him the Yoda of comics or the Jay Dilla of comics. He's your favorite comic artist, favorite comic artist. And he taught me, he taught me um, during one of our critiques. He said, um, during one of my critiques, I wasn't critiquing anything of his. Let me get that straight. <laughs> um, he said, what is the story within the story? Don't just tell, don't just illustrate the script. What is the story that is not being told in the script? Tell that story. And that's what I did with this book. That's Long amazing. answer, I'm going to be done talking for the night. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, we hope not. <laughs> Alvern, what do you want to add? Uh, yeah, I just remember, one of the, as Stacey was talking, one of the, I remember him calling me up, he goes, man, I love this script. He's like, what did you do for research? And I was like, talking about all these different books and all these different resources, and I stopped, and I was like, you know what? I was like, go to Pandora, put on some Miles Davis. I was like, just play jazz and blues, and that will get you in the mindset of where we need to be. Cause that's what I did. I played a lot of jazz and um, mm. old school jazz. And I was like, this will get you in the mindset of where I was and where we need to be and where these people probably were. So I listened to a lot of music of that, I tried to give it up that time period. And that kind of transported me back where I needed to be um, writing this thing. Um, but it was a fever pitch. Um, I remember writing the, the pitch for it and it got approved and then just as I was about to script the first um, the story that I got approved as Stacy called it, the ball version, we had to do a compromise. And in that compromise, it was literally like, okay, you have to turn around. Um, I had to do a new pitch. I had to write in 24 hours, then it approved. And then after that, I think I had like three days. Yeah, I had like a weekend. Wow. It, it got approved on a Friday and I had to turn the script around by Monday. I think I had to Tuesday, wow. but I was like, no way am I going to, I was like, I'm going to hit this deadline before that. And I had COVID and literally I was getting up every day, probably writing for like an hour and then just laying back down for like the next 23 hours. Um, but it was the ancestors. I have to say, um, it had to be the ancestors. And I think for me, and Stacey, we both understood the importance of what this book meant, not only, um, um, for us, but the importance of what it meant and in the, the african-american experience and the american history of experience of telling this mm -hmm. story and so um I, like i said i wrote this thing in probably two or three days and, and i hit that deadline and, and and then i was like waiting to hear back and didn't hear back and i was like oh man they're gonna hate this story and it was it was one of those things i remember uh, me john and stacy getting on the call and going yeah man this is what we wanted to do but we can't do this what do you think and what do you think and it was like he hadn't heard back and then i remember john getting a text going i remember getting a text from john and going it's been greenlit and i'm like what and then like an hour later getting getting like the official email from my editor going we love it it's 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 ready to go and i'm like wait there there's no changes no and it was just like one question that they had about why something was written a certain way. And I had to explain that as black people, this had to be written a certain way. It had to be said a certain way because if we didn't do it this certain way. Trust me, we were like, catch hell for it, <laughs> you know? Um, but 
other than that, it was it, yeah. That's how how Stacy. Yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. I think we might have break danced mm-hmm. a little. You know, had a little. You know, you know, one of those competitions <laughs> at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and, awesome. and I also want to say, Alfern and I, to this day, we still have not met face to face. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't. No, but we do this at least twice a week. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to I want to highlight a couple comments on Instagram that are going on. Um, one is at Nigel and Matthew. Uh, uh isla luna 246 says i love what i love is that hard ears is also a retelling about countries that fought hard and gained their freedom but then they were spurned people forget that um Mm. yeah and then uh uh, aaron again saying across the tracks is a great launch pad for further discussion so i i agree with with that i'm uh, we were talking a little bit with my kids about this over the weekend about the hundred year anniversary. And uh, I'm going to hand uh, off across the tracks to my, my son and my, my middle school daughter um, to, for them awesome. to read. Um, oh, thank so, you. Um, so that's all amazing. Where can people get your books? Where can they find them? Where can, because these are stories people need to hear. These are stories, um, that people clearly are desiring out there based solely on the comments on this live stream. Um, where, where can they get them? Everywhere. And I mean, everywhere. (laughs) Literally (laughs) everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I think they're available and, and, you know, I want to shout out the independent, you know, bookstores. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say definitely order from the independent bookstores if, if yes. you can. Um, and but you know if you have to order it online, you know you got to pick it up. You can pick it up on Amazon. You can read it on Comicsology. Um, Walmart, actually, Target. You Walmart, Target, absolutely. Um, you know the Barnes and Nobles as well. But I would definitely encourage you to support the. Um, the local, like I said, yes. the local and independent bookstores. Um, and But if you read your comics digitally, you can also read um, all of our books on, on Comixology. I know some people are digital collectors. I am more of a digital collector nowadays mm. when it comes to my comic content. So um, I am too, but let me, let me put a plug in. These books are worth having a oh, hard yeah, copy yeah. of. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. And yo, you catch me out in them streets. You know, I'll sign your book. I'll I'll definitely sign it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so what's next for you guys? Like, I mean, Stacy, you and Alvern, do you guys have another project plan or this was it? You're done with him and, (laughs) and no more. (laughs) And and Nigel and Matthew, I mean, you guys are publishing together. What's, what's the next plan for, for you guys? Uh, Whoever uh, wants to go first. uh, I would say right now I'm working on a, a bunch of books. Um, they're all in the same universe. I'm working with Matthew too. And in terms of the way how we kind of work together is, especially the group, I work with all the guys. So right now I'm working on a book called Diary of the Stray Dogs um, with Matthew, with another guy called Tristan Roach, and he's in the group. And another guy called uh, Juan Carlos Francisco from Spain. And which one of the three books finishes first? I would like to like kind of just get out there and see if you know people will kind of gravitate towards it. I'm looking to probably do a crowdfunding for it also, and that's kind of what I'm working on right now. 
Yeah, yes. right right now is um, the book with Nigel Derry of Australia Dogs. And funny enough, that was actually one of the first books that we started working on. And then it kind of paused. That was all back in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And then it, no, um, <laughs> we, we, we took it back up this year, 2021. And the other book that I'm working on is a horror. The first two issues are out now called um, Heart Man. And that is a, um, based on a Barbadian for um, legend about a kind of serial killer that lives in Cane Fields. Oh, cool. So. Yeah, I, I, am work, um, I just finished Colors on a book called Clockwork Carandera uh, by David Bowles and Raul III. It is a brilliant steampunk reimagining of Frankenstein set in colonial Mexico. This oh, is wow. dropping. Um, I, I did the color work on it, and it's a very different color style for me um, that was, was requested by Raul. And um, this is dropping from Lee and Lowe Books, and, and the Kickstarter was very, very successful with this. And this will be out soon. Um, in reference to book projects that I'm working on, I am working on a motion graphic, um, massive kind of epic story that looks at at my love of of um, our Middle Passage cultures that we've brought across the Atlantic as uh, mm -hmm. our technology for survival and how that connects to my um liberation theology and my love of music <laughs> so all that through uh, i'm getting back into motion graphics and animation so that will be that project will be dropping in a number of years that's going to take a long time to do but i've been working on it for the last few years and some quiet that's the first time i've kind of mentioned working on that that project too so that's awesome alvin uh, for me i got um uh, I got a, a new second crime novel coming out in October from um, Final Narrative Books entitled um, Blue Religion. Um, that comes out in October. Cover reveal action actually happening, I think, in another two weeks or so. We'll see. Um, and then um, I got a World War II graphic novel that um, right now we're getting ready to pitch. Um, most likely um, we're getting ready to pitch. It's based on a a true events that occurred um never told story um so i love history like that and then um i'm working on a fantasy graphic novel with um colorist and artist serena guerrero called gills and another ya comic series with um devin campbell called jukebox legends and um mm -hmm. yeah and then i got some webcomic stuff that i'm some webtoons webcomic stuff that i'm working with um that's probably going to come out um, in about three months. Yeah, I'm always working on something. So yeah, <laughs> I can take plenty other things working on. And then last but not least, um, um, I'm doing um, my um, all ages um, comic series, um, Kate Carver's Engineers of the Impossible with Ooh, Jason Reed yeah. over at yeah. Yeah. Park. We're finally going to finish the graphic novel of that. And um, we're working on, um, we're going to do a manga um, that I've been working on called Kaiten. So we're gonna do like a one-shot manga. See how that works out. And so I'm going back to, to some of my roots. Love Jason. Great guy. Great yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. It's my dude. 
Um, a couple uh, uh, comments. Um, uh, John again says, I'm proud of you all and the work we do. Um, and then um, Brian Lambert from Wingless Comics uh, first said, seeing Alvern with a copy of his book in Barnes & Noble was inspiring. And then he also wants to know why Stacy isn't wearing a blazer this time on the show. Because <laughs> it's hot in this house. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> and then uh, Gerald Boney on Facebook says, uh, still waiting on Night Boy, Stacy. Yo, it's coming. Actually, Damien, yo, shouts out to Gerald. That's my dude, too. Shouts out to Gerald. Yo, Night Boy is coming. Um, I'm not announcing that yet, only because we, uh, we, we, you know, our pitch, our, our agent hasn't pitched it and all of that. And, it, you know, but Damien is writing it right now. So Night Boy is actually in the works. Very, very excited. Oh, wow. Um, and and we are also talking about finally finishing up Kid Code, which um, I'm embarrassed is so far behind. But uh, everybody's waiting on me to finish that up. <laughs> so, but Night Boy is coming sooner than, than Kid Code is. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, gentlemen, uh, before we before we start wrapping things up, um, you know, any advice for people out there who are thinking, I want to create something and I don't know how to get started. I don't know what to do to get started to create what th this story that's inside of me. What did what advice would you give them? Um, I would I would tell them to start. Just start. Um, mm -hmm. And it's never too late to start. Um, just Paint a paper, do it on your phone, write down notes, just start. And once you get to that start, get started, you can then start to look for other people to get involved. And it may be hard at first, but you have the internet. The, the world isn't as big as it used to be. I've worked with people from all over the world. So you get on the internet when you've got your script or you want to learn how to write your script, just go on the internet. And there's always somebody who also has that same fire and is trying to create too. And if you find the right person, because a lot of things about comic book creation is, it's about the team. If you don't have the correct team, no matter how good the writer is, no matter how good the artist is, if the two don't mesh or they don't understand each other's vision, or there's even like a, a real language barrier, it, the book isn't gonna be great. You kind of have to have this synergy. So, but it all starts with starting. Just start. I, I would say um, that is absolutely, I would definitely 100,000% agree with Nigel. Absolutely right. Get mentorship. Just do it. Mess up. Do it badly. Yeah. And get it out. Right. You'll get better as you don't do. Don't wait until you get better. Do it and get better along the journey. Right. That's the hero's journey. Um, I would also say go to the public library. So many people, you know, are trying, they, they go everywhere else but the library. The library has amazing free resources on how to do everything that you want to do, including, you know, they have graphic novel sections on how to create comics, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's free. And if they don't have it, they have interlibrary loan systems where they will contact another library and get the book shipped to you. And it doesn't cost you anything. They're begging people to use the library. Like, go, <laughs> I make my comics, I make graphic novels in the library. That's where I go to work many times. So I love the library. I will always shout out the library as a, as a resource. Um, go there and get that knowledge. 
Nice. It's funny you say that, Stacy, because I think when I first started uh, wanting to write comics, that's where actually where I went to, to find the books I couldn't afford to buy. It was mm-hmm. I went to the library um, to find those how-to books when I found out that they existed. But um, I agree, like Nigel said, just start. Um, as Ray Bradbury, mm-hmm. I think it was Ray Bradbury that says, you know, you jump off a cliff and you build your wings on the way down. So yeah, mm-hmm. just start and you'll you'll figure it out as you go. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd um, echo the same sentiments. Just um, start believing yourself too, and don't be afraid to mess up and write something that is, or draw something that is authentic. And that may sound daunting, but look around you, your neighborhood, if you know, whatever country you're in. You know, um, something that's unique, something you experience, and you will find that people will gravitate towards that authenticity, whether it's in the way you draw or the way you write, you know, and people people like to see different things, things that are unique. So just be yourself and keep reading, soaking in new ideas, be inspired, you know, but just just do it you know because a labor of love is is hard work it's not you know anything that's easy to do you know there's a lot of long hours there's a lot of dedication but if you have a passion for it you know um go ahead don't be afraid or timid mm-hmm. very good um, very good oh. i would like to also add a little something else too mm-hmm. sometimes you kind of got to build on baby steps too. I find sometimes a lot of new creators come out of the gate and want to create the epic Lord of the Rings. They kind of got, you kind of got to start with your hobbit. You know, you kind of got to build on it. They could be all connected. It could all be, but sometimes, and then when they fail at that epic twelve issue arc run because they, they couldn't get one book finished, it feels or they like failed. But mm-hmm. if you kind of take baby steps, do one shots, do smaller runs, do smaller pieces, you kind of build on that and you learn from those mistakes and you keep adding on. So I find that some people, you know, it may seem a little like, I don't know, un- unencouraging, like, but take smaller steps sometimes because when you fail, sometimes the problem wasn't that you weren't good enough. It's like sometimes you, you went too far out. You wanted to do this magnum opus for your first book, you know? Mm-hmm. You know yeah, I think we, we hear that a lot here with people coming to us. How can I write this? And they're they're planning this 24-issue major epic. And it's, a, no, Nigel, people do need to hear exactly that. Start small, mm-hmm. start somewhere. I love how Sebastian Jones from Stranger Comics says, um, yeah. n- no... Uh, he, great dude great dude. man yeah, yeah, um, yeah he says you know be able to be surprised by your world still as you write don't have it all mm-hmm. figured out be able to be surprised still and so i love that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Love solid that. advice gentlemen mm-hmm. um everybody out there watching thank you so much for watching um i my hope is this is megascope night part one um that we get more people on for the other books and that as the line continues to come out we continue to be able to host um, the Megascope uh, creative teams. Uh, John, I know you're out there watching, so let's talk about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Brett, yo, sh- before you go, yo, shouts out to you, yo, for real, man. Thank you. Like, yo, you hold it down for us. Yo, yo you representing. 
Um, you keep it real black up in here. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, um, no I don't know how you identify, so I ain't going to make those assumptions. I will say, though, allyship looks like a particular thing and you are representing that. So thank you, sir. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Everybody out there watching, we appreciate you watching. We appreciate you um, chiming in with your comments tonight. And um, we look forward to being back here soon. Uh, next two weeks, there is no new episodes because I'm on vacation. Um, and so we're going to take a couple weeks off. We're going to hit it hard at the end of the month. Um, We'll be back with um, an episode devoted to Black Sands Entertainment, making big waves in the entertainment world, and yeah. another Concrete Comics night for the fans come, of Concrete Comics. Come to Barbados. Vacation in Barbados. Okay, uh, yeah. I mean, if you'll... <laughs> here's the thing, Matthew. I got seven kids. If you can house my wife, me, and seven kids, we'll come. <laughs> Rick got the Wu-Tang Clan, for real. <laughs> we do. We do. Yeah. Oh. All right, Instagram, we're going to disconnect you first. Thank you for watching out there. Peace, y'all. And everybody else, thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. Thank you. Why are you still listening? It's the end of the podcast. But since you listened to the whole thing, since you're still here at the end, as this podcast ends, as you exit out of the episode, why don't you give us a rating? And if you're not following or subscribing to us yet, go ahead and do that too. As I said at the beginning of the show, it helps a lot, and you'll be doing the dispatch a big favor.